Uh, the children may head out to Children's Church. The rest of us can find Romans chapter 12. You may have picked up on a common theme in the sermons, really since I've gotten here, and even during revival. And that common theme, if you've been paying attention, is that it's all about Jesus. God has done everything for us through Jesus. How were you saved? Through Jesus. Uh, Where does one find revival? In Jesus. How are we um, to grow as Christians? Through Jesus. Um, It is so important to me that we understand that and that you, whom I'm responsible for as your pastor, it's so important to me that you understand that God loves you maximum all the time, and he's proved it through Jesus, that your good works and your church involvement do not earn any more of God's love. He already loves you maximum through what he's done for you through Jesus. So just as we are, we come to God and we receive salvation, we receive grace, we receive adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus. Okay, so have you noticed that common theme? Often it's not our works, it's Jesus. Even in revival, every night, that message comes across. And it comes across so much because that's what the Bible teaches. But what about all the do's and don'ts that are in the Bible? The Bible does tell us things to stop doing and things to do. Where does that factor in? I hope there's no confusion here, and I think this morning might help you to think about it more clearly, because we're going to read a passage that is, all it is is things to do and things to not do. Okay? So, just to be clear, not doing the bad stuff and doing the good stuff does not earn you God's favor or your salvation. You have God's favor and salvation in Jesus already. But there are things for us to stop doing and things for us to do. And we're going to look at three of those this morning. And we're going to read it. We're going to work through those. And then I'm going to bring it all together in an epic conclusion that you'll never forget. Uh, That's setting the bar too high. It's going to be good, though. If you're able, would you stand just as a simple way of saying this is no ordinary book? We're going to give it special attention. And we're going to read Romans 12 verses 9 through 13. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. Let's pray. Father, help us to remember with clarity what you have done for us and the transformation you have brought about in us through Jesus. And help us to live in light of that fact. May these words that you spoke guide us and inspire us to action, to living, 
as Christians. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So we've covered a lot of ground in Romans. Uh, The first 11 chapters of Romans is a very thorough meditation on the gospel. What God has done for us through Jesus. Um, Chapters 9 through 11 is a very thorough meditation about just God and how glorious he is and how in control he is over all things. And then in chapter 12, it's like all that, chapters 1 through 11, was pulling back the, what is this I'm holding? Slingshot. Completely blanked out. All of that was pulling back. The tension was getting greater and greater and greater. And in chapter 12, God lets it go. And we shoot out into real life in light of all this that's true of us as Christians. And so in chapter 12, Paul says at the beginning, Therefore, based on all of this about who God is and what he's done in Jesus, worship God by presenting your bodies physically as individuals, presenting yourselves bodily as a one collective sacrifice called the church. So the reaction to all this about God and Jesus is that we need to just throw our whole bodies into life, worshiping God in real, physical, practical ways by being the church. So each of you is gifted, we learned a couple of weeks ago. You're, you're an individual with specific gifts and aptitudes to use as a part of God's body. Just like my body has different parts to it. I have fingers, I have giant biceps, and they function differently from each other. But they're all important. You're, you are a specific part of the body of Christ, and your function is very important. So the first way we worship God is just by functioning according to our gifts as part of the church. That's what we saw in uh, 12 verses 3 through 8. And then we get to this passage that I just read, which is a rapid-fire list of things to not do or to do. These are just more ideas of ways that you can worship God, who's done it all for you in Jesus. We looked at Let Love Be Genuine a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I wanted to preach this whole paragraph to you in one sermon, and it's just impossible. Each little statement is just too rich. So we looked at let love be genuine. Today we're going to look at abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection and outdo one another in showing honor. Those are the three we're going to hit today. And it's going to be very practical. And I actually want you to respond to what you hear in some real, some specific action. Okay? So you're going to do that, right? It's Pastor Appreciation Sunday. This is how you could show it. By by going out of here this week and really doing something specific. So specific that you could even share it with somebody and tell them, well, here's what I did in response to the sermon. Okay? So we're going to do something in response to this. First, here's what you need to do. Abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. Has anyone used the word abhor lately? Probably not. It means what you would probably think. Hate. Some of your translations may say hate. uh, Detest. It's a deep, it's a passionate word for hating something. This isn't how you... UNC fans feel about Duke fans 
This is deeper than that. This is wishing that a fireball from heaven would come and obliterate something. Hopefully you're not that intense about your sports rivalry. It is just throwing balls around. I'm just saying. I'd like to pick at you about that. This is, to abhor something means that you genuinely, deep down wish it just didn't exist. That it would just be obliterated. Okay? So there's something for us to abhor. Or to abhor what is evil. And then there's something for us to hold fast to. That phrase, hold fast to, literally has the idea of gluing yourself to something. It's to bond yourself to what is good. To fasten yourself to what is good. So what God's telling you to do, he's telling you how to feel about evil things and good things and what to do about evil things and good things. Abhor what is evil. Deep down with with all of your might, hate, detest evil things. And then deep down, connect yourself to good things. That phrase, hold fast, it's used elsewhere in the Bible for marriage. Man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. So you've heard kids say, well, if you love it so much, why don't you marry it? It's basically what God's telling you to do. The good things you need to marry, you need to connect yourself to. Now, this idea is stated in other ways in other passages. Um, Have any of you read the passages in some of the other New Testament letters where Paul tells you to put off the old man, put on the new man created in Christ? My pastor at my home church, his name was Barry Bird, and he was formerly a science teacher. And I remember a couple of his sermons specifically. Um, You know, generally you don't remember every specific sermon. You can't file that away that clearly in your mind. But I remember his sermon on putting off the old man and putting on the new man because he called it the Poupon Man. Put off old poo, put on new pawn man. You'll remember that now, too. I don't know why I chose to share it with you, but I want to read to you those two, two passages because two reasons. When Paul wrote this one passage in Ephesians chapter 4, where he tells you what to put off now that you're a Christian and then what to put on, he's following the same train of thought that he's had in Romans generally. You know, Jesus did all this for you. Accept it. Be changed by it. And then do these actions. Put off these behaviors and things. Put on these good things. So if you're wanting to do something about this sermon, here's some specific ideas. Okay? So I'm going to read to you from Ephesians 4, starting at verse 20. Paul has just been talking about the way uh, godless people live. And he says in verse 20 of Ephesians 4, But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Remember, that was part of Paul's train of thought in Romans. And to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And then he gets specific. Okay, so let the Holy Spirit just kind of ping you when something here fits you that you need to deal with, something you need to put off or something you need to put on. Therefore, 
having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Abhor, hate, detest, put off falsehood. Hold fast to put on speaking truth with your neighbor for your members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Anger isn't in of itself evil. God gets angry over the right things. But do not sin. So put off, hate, detest, abhor, uncontrolled, sinful anger. Hold fast to, bond yourself to, controlled anger. Don't let the sun go down on it. Don't give the devil an opportunity in it. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Put off, abhor any means of taking something that's not yours. Now, there's probably not a lot of pickpockets or car thieves in the room, but let's take uh, stealing time at work. I've heard a story about someone who was so addicted to Facebook at work, even after his boss had talked to him several times to stop wasting time on Facebook, that he actually took a screenshot of his computer while working so that he could quickly bring it up if the boss walked by so that it would look like he was working. When in reality, he was stealing time from work. That's thievery. Abhor it, detest it, hate it. Instead, hold fast to not just not stealing stuff, but the good, the the corresponding good, which is work, labor. Do honest work with your own hands so that you'll have something to share with anyone in need. Hold fast to that. Glue yourself to that. Verse 29 Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Okay, so for some of us, the action we may need to take has to do with how we talk. We need to abhor and hate and detest corrupting talk. This is literally the idea of talk that that is rotten and causes those who hear it to rot. Okay, so this could be a lot of complaining. This could be a lot of gossip. This could be a lot of uh, just criticism, not constructive criticism, just, you know, make ourselves feel better kind of criticism. This could be idle chatter that just um, dumbs down everyone around it. Um, You know how a banana, as it's getting rotten, will tend to make the fruit around it rotten? It gives off some kind of gas. That's sort of the picture of what that kind of talk does. It's rotten and it makes those around, those who hear it, become rotten. Abhor that, detest that, hate that. Wish that that were obliterated and gone forever. And instead, hold on to the corresponding good. Hold fast, glue yourself to this kind of talk. Only things that are good for building people up. So not things that corrupt and make people rot, but things that build people up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear.
So, one practical application. Somebody calls you on the phone and you can feel the conversations getting gossipy. Hang up on them. Or say, you're gossiping. I abhor it. Do that seriously, and I bet we'll see a whole culture shift in our church. Or complaining. Do like my son. Put your fingers in your ears and make loud noises so you don't hear it. We can help each other in these ways. Should be some hanging up going on probably this week. Okay. Let all... I'm sorry, verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now, I haven't studied this passage, and I don't want to get off on a secondary passage too deep, but I think we grieve the Holy Spirit when we hold fast to the rotten, bad, evil stuff and ignore the good stuff because we can do this. I mean, this is what Jesus died so that we could live this way. I think it grieves the Holy Spirit when we ignore his conviction about these things and keep living this way. Verse 31, let all bitterness, wrath, and anger, and clamor, and slander be put away from you along with malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God and Christ forgave you. Abhor, hate, detest, bitterness and and the the um, temptation to wish ill upon others hate that don't just say well i know i should forgive such and such i know jesus forgave me i really shouldn't get over this oh well turn on tv ignore it hate that it's evil instead glue yourself to forgiving people being gracious to people being kind to people being tender-hearted to people. Again, not to earn your salvation, but because you already have it, and you can do it because of what God has done in you through Jesus. I'm just going to read one more to you without a lot of commentary, just to give you more ideas, because I really want you to respond to this with concrete action. This one comes from Colossians chapter 3, beginning at verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. The same idea. Just kill it, hate it, abhor it. Put to death what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of his creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew or circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. 
So what is it for you now in light of Jesus and what he's done that you need to put off? And what is it that you need to put on? What is it that you need to abhor? And what is it that you need to glue yourself to? Hold fast to? This is logical. This just makes sense. If you, I wonder when's the last time you got really filthy, sweaty, dirty, doing some kind of outside work. And you go in, have you ever been really filthy, sweaty, dirty, smelly, uh, disgusting to anyone around you? And you go into the house and you take your shower and you get yourself all clean. When you get out of the shower, do you go back to that disgusting pile of clothes that you just took off, that there's flies buzzing around it, and do you put that back on? No, why would you do that? No, you go and you put on new, clean clothes. I mean, Jesus has done it all to clean you up, to transform your heart. He's done it all. He has given you the ultimate shower. You are clean. In God's eyes, he looks at you. You're pure, you're clean. Every time we turn to, to these things, these evil things, it's like putting on those dirty, stinking clothes. It makes no sense. It's unnecessary. You don't have to live like that. No, we can live in a Christ-like way. We can put on these things. We can be these kinds of people. So let's do it. So I've thought about this. I know what specific thing I plan to pray. I plan to pray this kind of hatred into reality for what I need to put off and pray this kind of of connection into reality to what I need to put on. And I want you to do the same thing. And I want it to be so specific that you can write it down, that you can talk to your spouse about it. This is what I need to put off. This is what I need to put on. Will you pray with me that I can do it? Will you do that? Just, just even one thing. Will you? This is less than reassuring. Will you do that? I'm not going to stop asking until I get some head nods. Some of you are afraid to commit. You're afraid you're going to forget. Don't let each other forget. I'm very serious about this. I always give you a lot to think about, a lot to ponder. We've been doing so much theology. This is something to do, and we need to do it, or else we're ignoring God's word and we're grieving the Holy Spirit. So let's do something. Okay. Number two, love, back in Romans, love one another with brotherly affection. Who has siblings in here? Okay, many of us. If you don't have siblings, you have other family. This language is family love. It's a certain kind of love. It's different from friendship love, definitely different from romantic love. It's family love. We need to love each other like family like brothers and sisters, because that's what we are. You may not have realized when you decided to become a member of this group of people that that's how deeply you were committing yourself to be involved, but that's what we are. We're brothers and sisters. Now, is, are all of your family members, your biological family, are they all great? Are they all just awesome, 
top-notch people, the kind of people you want your children to be like when they grow up? I mean, are they? No, but they're family. And there's a certain loyalty, there's a certain affection, a certain tenderness that you have toward your family, a certain level of concern. It's not that they deserve it. It's not that they're so great, but they're your family. So see the people around you. We are brothers and sisters. We are family. Yes, even that person that just drives you crazy. That's your sister. That's your brother. Now, deep down in you, if you are a Christian, you have this love in you. Jesus has done everything we need to be done to set the stage for this. God's not going to command us to love each other with brotherly affection if he's not going to enable us to do it. And I think we have this love down there, even for some of you probably somebody came to mind and you're like, well, I don't know if I can love that guy like that. Picture their face, whoever it is that's the most difficult for you to love. Some of you is probably easy because you're looking at them right now. Now, to get serious for a moment, now imagine something truly tragic happening in that person's life. Just the worst thing you can imagine. You know, their very closest, their dearest loved one dying suddenly. Or, or they're brutally attacked somewhere in a parking lot or something terrible. Now I guarantee, as much as you think you dislike or disagree with this person, very few of you would feel any pleasure at that. Most of you, there's some deep down loyalty within you that says, no, I don't want that to happen to them. That's because we're brothers and sisters. Let's love each other that way before the tragedy happens. See them in that light now when things are good. You can do it. So, I want you to respond to this. I want this to be concrete and clear. If you have to go home and get your directory out and look at every face, go and search out the people that you just do not love with brotherly affection and pray that love into existence. Because you're designed to love that way. And every day that you don't is just a waste. Every interaction with that person that you don't have that sibling affection for them is just a waste. You don't have to live like that. Jesus paid so high a price to adopt us all into one family. Let's live, let's love each other with brotherly affection. Everybody, nobody is excluded from from this. Okay? Third one. Outdo one another in showing honor. It's not been that big a deal recently, but my children went through a phase where their ultimate priority was to be first. No matter what the activity was, no matter what the task was, they wanted to be first. It's time to brush your teeth. And a stampede of two little people running to the bathroom, you know, pushing to get in front. I want to do it first. Getting out of the van. 
My son can unstrap himself fully and get out of his seat. My daughter can't yet. So, and his job is to unstrap her so she can get out. And he wants to know which sliding door we're going to open so he can position himself on that side so he can get out first. Even though he's just going to have to wait. Because you know, I'm not just going to let him take off until Lillian's out and we're all going together. And so what we tell him is, what does Jesus say about being first? Do you know what Jesus says about being first? Yeah, I didn't understand what that was, but I think you're right, probably. He said that in the kingdom of God, the first are last and the last are first. You know, the, the true great people are the ones who serve. And so, you know, Elias is shoving and pushing his way to be first. And I said, what does Jesus say about being first, buddy? First or last, last or first? Which door are you going to open so I can get out? <laughs> He's learning. It hasn't been a big deal lately. This phrase here is a little confusion. Your translation may say it differently in verse 10 of Romans 12. Mine says, outdo one another in showing honor. There's a little ambiguity if if there's a competitive element in this or not. Mine would have you think that your goal is to be the, the top dog in terms of who shows others the most honor. Uh, there's another sense that it could mean just to uh, set the example for showing honor. Either way, it's the same thing. It just means while the world is fighting to receive honor and to be first, we're not in that kingdom anymore. We're in the kingdom of God, which fights to show honor, which fights to make others first. It's a complete reversal of our instinct. The world fights over shotgun. Christians fight over the back seat. Now, some of you may feel like, well, the other two maybe hit home on some some level, but this one maybe not. This expresses itself in a lot of really clear ways in church life. One of them, and I don't mean this to to condemn anybody, um, probably some folks in here have said this to me. One of the ways uh, self-exaltation presents itself is when somebody is out of church for a little while, a week, two weeks go by, three weeks, you know, whatever the reason, sickness, busyness, travel, Maybe a month goes by, maybe two months go by. I've talked to some folks who that's happened, and often I hear the same thing. Nobody's calling me. Not one person called me. Why would I go back to that church? Why is, why is no one calling me? Now, there's some truth. I mean, we are supposed to care about each other. Somebody should be calling. But that person shouldn't be sitting there tapping their foot expecting everyone to be serving them and calling them. and It's just not right. It's a misconception about how this thing works. You're not here for you. You're here for those people sitting with you in the pews and the rest of these folks. I'm not here for me. I'm here for you. It expresses itself uh, whenever someone serves or does some hard work and then maybe doesn't get recognized fully and then bitterness grows well why were you doing the work in the first place to be honored now your job isn't to 
grab honor. Your job is to outdo everybody else, outpace everybody else in showing honor to others, giving honors to others. So what if nobody recognized you? That's good. That means you're winning the race to honor other people. And again, there's truth to that. We should be honoring each other, so someone should honor those who are serving and working. That should happen. But it's not our job to expect it. So, we want to respond to this in practical ways. And this one's a little bit more uh, vague in terms of how to respond. But what we need to do is pray through this Ask God to show us areas in which we've been expecting honor, uh, desiring honor for ourselves, trying to gain it, honor, recognition, or perceived value. That's really what the word means. And put that off. And instead, transfer all that energy into building up, honoring, valuing other people. So, abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. Do you know what you need to abhor and what you need to hold fast to? I'm thinking and expecting everyone in here to take action on this. We need to love each other with brotherly affection. Pray through that and pray it into reality. And we need to outdo one another in showing honor. What specific people, steps can you take? How can you show honor to someone, everyone, somehow. Now I want to close, I want to read to you a passage from Philippians to just further clarify how this works, the fact that this doesn't earn our salvation, this is a result of our salvation. This is Philippians chapter 2, it's a little lengthy, I know it's the end of the sermon and you're already thinking about Burger King or wherever, but hang with me. Philippians 2. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. It is, this, this is yours in Christ Jesus. Jesus, who, thought, who, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved... As you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. This is the punch, not the punchline, this isn't a joke, but you know what I mean. This is the important verse. Therefore, work out your own salvation 
with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Based on everything Jesus has done for us, work. Work out this salvation into reality in your life. Why? Because that's going to earn God's favor? No, because it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. In other words, these things that we're able to work out into our lives, people without Jesus can't do. We would be fools not to take advantage of what we have in Christ and to work this salvation out into practical realities in our life. Because it's God who's working in us. Abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good because you can. Love one another with brotherly affection because you can. Outdo one another in showing honor because in Jesus Christ you can. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for giving us clear instructions on how to live now in light of Jesus. Please help us, help us, help us to do so in real, concrete, clear, specific, real-life ways. Let us not grieve the Holy Spirit, but let us respond to your word. In Jesus' name, amen.